You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Hi, everybody. Who owns my company's stock? Who is buying it, selling it, holding it, and why? On today's program, we'll take a look at how IROs answer that question and how they can use ownership data to drive all areas of IR activity. While data might be available, really putting it to use is, I think, the big challenge. Coming up, highlights from the latest IR Magazine webinars. But first, here's a look at some of the stories we've been following. The UK's biggest business lobby group wants companies to publicly explain what steps, if any, they are taking to boost employee representation on boards of directors. The Confederation of British Industry is also calling on the government to introduce a binding vote on executive pay for companies that routinely fail to satisfy shareholders with remuneration decisions. Roadshows have gained in popularity at North American companies in the past year, to the point they now rival investor conferences as the most popular form of investor engagement. Analysis from the IR Magazine Global Roadshow Report 2016 shows that the average North American roadshow traveler typically went on 7.3 roadshows. Those respondents who attended investor conferences did so 7.4 times. Finally, A new study reveals the most popular sections of online annual reports. Austrian digital corporate reporting specialist Nexar looked at click rates for 20 leading companies in six European countries. Nexar CEO Thomas Rosenmeier says the management report garners the lion's share of attention. We see more than one third of all clicks going to the management report and and also the, the financial section, so the statements and the notes also get considerable attention, whereas all the, the parts that are um, promoted uh, from a purely branding and image-based perspective like magazines or, or summer, super summary parts, they are less viewed. The figures and the, the key facts are, are the driver of online reports. Rosenmayer says almost 10% of all users use the search function to find specific content and that a similar percentage access the report through a mobile device. And he adds, for those companies publishing a bilingual report... The English version in, in all our reports, even if, if these reports are actually Italian or, or German uh, companies, the English version is always the most used. We had an IRO that we were dealing with a number of years ago. Relatively small cap companies, Fidelity was their largest shareholder. The, uh, the surveillance team was able to identify in relatively real term, I mean, I'm talking within the three or four days of the order starting, they were able to identify that Fidelity was a seller. Uh, they told the IRO, let the IRO know this was going on. The IRO obviously was up in arms. Uh, it, was, it was a big deal because this was a small stock and they were worried about getting pressure uh, on the shares with a large shareholder coming in like this. And so, you know, through through talking with with their surveillance analysts, they were you know they were able to say, okay, well let's let's reach out to to the shareholder and and not in a pointed way say, hey, you know, why are you selling? 
but just in a very gradual way saying, hey, obviously the stock has been under pressure the past couple of days, touching with some of the top shareholders to gauge, you know, where things are at and gauge temperatures and whatnot. Long story short, they were able to get the PM on the phone, have a very engaged conversation. Uh, uh, everything was very cordial. There was no gunslinging or anything like that going on, but they found out <laughs> that one of the junior, uh, one of the junior analysts at the firm had made basically just a human error and, and their model was incorrect. They didn't catch it in their, you know, the, the kind of diligence process. And so they were making sales of this company literally based on a poor model. And so as the IRO walked them through this model, they stopped selling. The, the shares, you know, recouped uh, a lot of those losses and, and, you know, kind of the rest is history. Ta-da! Now that's a classic story of stock surveillance at work. Adam Frederick has been doing that sort of capital market sleuthing for public companies for almost 20 years. Now he's Senior Vice President of Intelligence at Q4, Inc. But, as he tells IR Magazine's Laurie Havelock, modern stock surveillance is much more than just identifying institutional buyers and sellers. It also goes into some real-time targeting, uh, this idea of being able to really look at getting a, a read on, on real-time sentiment or forward-looking sentiment or volatility expectations, uh, really in-depth insight into trading and market structure, what is truly driving the supply and demand you know, dynamics with the trading. Uh, so I think all these things have to be really thought about when you, when you think of surveillance. You know, it really becomes much more of an extension of the IR program if, if used properly and if leveraged properly. Uh, if you have a, a good partner, a good analyst, a reputable firm, uh, it really becomes, like I say, an extension of that IR program. Well, he would say that, wouldn't he? The fact is, stock surveillance is typically one of the biggest line items in an IRO's budget. An ongoing program can run up to $50,000 a year. At that price, some would argue that a savvy IRO and not an outside surveillance analyst is best placed to put together an informed picture of trading. So, is it even worth it? For Wix.com Head of Investor Relations Joe Pallaro, it is. Certainly, when we were early in our, in our life as a public company, it was very helpful to identify big movements in the stock um, that were happening post-IPO. Sellers, whether they were insider VCs selling or big funds that maybe took larger positions in, in the IPO and rotated out uh, shortly after, uh, we were able to get an insight and some lead into some of that selling activity and turnover early on. Um, and that continues today, even being now a three-year public company. If there is some activity uh, on either the selling or the buying of the stock, we can see and, and get some indication of big movements. We may not always know exactly who the, the buyer is, but we, we know a lot more than uh, otherwise we would know intra-quarter. The second way we use it is, is for targeting. Using that, that insight into buying and selling uh, when we go out into a quarter and, and target investors to meet with and, and talk to about our story, uh, we use the insights that we get from surveillance to you know, better understand who we should be meeting with, specific investors who we suspect may be buying or selling, and even a profile of an investor, whether it's a, uh, most commonly for us lately a growth investor, but as we mature a little bit more into a value investor. And, and the insight we get from surveillance helps us target intra-quarter. Uh, and then the third way is just to get a read on the overall sentiment in the market on our stock. We get a lot of data 
on options, uh, options trading. And that helps us really kind of understand uh, as we go into an earnings period, uh, what is the sentiment like on the street for our stock? Um, and, and that helps us frame our message and, and, and kind of set the tone for the upcoming earnings call. You can learn about all sorts of ways IROs find meaning in surveillance intelligence by checking out the webcast at irmagazine.com. There's no doubt understanding the makeup of your shareholder base is getting a lot harder. Market fragmentation, the globalization of share registers, and the spread of algorithmic trading have made it tougher these days to see through the noise. Using intelligence to drive decision-making was also on the agenda when IR Magazine's Brad Allen quizzed Pfizer's senior VP for IR Charles Triano and Nasdaq's James Tickner on how they made sense of today's complex buy-side landscape. Tickner laid out the challenge for IROs. The dynamic and the proportion of actively available capital is, is, is shifting. It certainly isn't, you know, um, entirely doom and gloom for the active side. There are definitely pockets of, of outperformance. I think a couple of areas just to pick up on. Um, one is that we've seen some positive flows into uh, income and dividend-oriented funds uh, as recently as the third quarter. And uh, while also some of the larger traditional active managers, while some of them have suffered with, 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 uh, with redemptions, you know, there are certainly some that are performing well in terms of attracting new capital. You know, the capital group, Global Investor, is, is, uh, is one such example. Similarly, a uh, number of things going on with, with sovereign wealth funds, of course, they have become, we talked about the, the more opaque end of uh, the investors and really trying to understand potential buyers. Sovereign wealth funds, of course, have become more, you know, more prominent as they have expanded their asset allocation to, to equities globally. Um, really sort of two sides of the coin here. One is obviously those sovereign funds that are closely um, you know, linked with and dependent on oil, particularly ones in the Middle East and, of course, nausea's. You know, have been have been taking money away from um, many equities across Europe and, and North America. While on the other side, we actually see some of um, uh, some of the, the, the big funds in in Asia Pacific, Korea, Malaysia, and, and the uh, the pension, big major pension fund in Japan, talking in the last 12 months about increasing exposure to global equities. The likelihood is that obviously there will be a lot of sub-advisors involved in that, but there will be a lot of new, new capital coming into the market pointing towards, towards global equity, so we'll be watching that. Um, the other thing I wanted to point out, again, some, some data that we, we took from, from Thomson Reuters' Lipper around generalist assets, so you know, obviously the money that can be invested across um, sectors and regions is now eight times larger than, than sector-specific fund assets, which is obviously, you know, the, these factors together present an interesting challenge for, for, for IROs. You know, you, we obviously have proportionally less uh, of an addressable market from an active perspective, but you're also competing for capital um, with, a, with a big pool of generalist uh, you know, equity across sectors, etc. With that backdrop, conversation turned to specific techniques IROs could use to identify new targeting opportunities, both beyond and within existing shareholders. Pfizer's Charles Triano. What I have found is that the institutional salespeople within a firm, within an investment manager, 
very often have a good feel of who the different players are, the different products that they're managing, and who are the right people to get into the meeting. And they can do a lot of that legwork for you. If you're going on a, on a roadshow and getting into a firm, they can help make sure the right people that, that are likely to be interested in your story are aware of the meeting and can come into the meeting. And Triano offers another tip for IROs looking to maximize the value of their time with investors. Uh, at Pfizer, we've looked at ownership trends over time and where we met the investors, be it in their office or where it, we looked at all the people that we did one-on-ones in small group meetings with at conferences, and then we looked at those firms we, we met via direct contact roadshow at their offices and a much stronger correlation to being, I think, more active, more thoughtful, and going in for probably a higher quality meeting than sort of accepting the attendance list at a conference you're attending and saying, well, those are the firms I'll meet with because that's who's, who's there. Certainly on the sell side, right, they wear the jersey of their firm. So we know to a degree they have some interest in generating fees and commissions, and there is some bias, naturally, to steer you toward higher commission-generating accounts that, that trade more, not necessarily aligned with what a management team would want to see. You can view the complete webinar at irmagazine.com. Click on See All Events, then Past Events. And while you're there, check out upcoming events. Later this month, Tuesday, November 22nd, please join us for another IR Magazine webinar. Editor Tim Human taps ESG gurus from Bloomberg and Robicosam for their take on best practice corporate sustainability communications. And on December 1st, the IR Magazine Awards and Conference Southeast Asia takes place in Bangkok. In association with the Stock Exchange of Thailand, the event will see over 150 delegates from across the region attending this internationally renowned event. The following week, more than 200 senior IR pros will gather in Hong Kong for the IR Magazine Awards and Conference Greater China. Sponsored by City, that gets underway December 6th. Along with the awards presentations, this year's program features discussions on a range of key issues relating to investor relations, including a session on the digitization of IR, sponsored by Deutsche Bank. That's all for this week's Ticker Podcast. Thanks for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cassette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app. It may not be good for America, but it's damn good for CBS. That's all I got to say.